Hello and welcome to Carbon Dialogue, a forum to discuss all things sustainable. I'm your host Siddharth Das Gupta, bringing you green perspectives from industry experts, academicians, and seasoned practitioners. Carbon Dialogue aims to break down pressing issues in the climate space and understand the solutions needed to tackle them. As an avid learner of the space, I want to reach out to all the curious souls who want to make a difference and be more conscious. Let's change the world one conversation at a time. You can follow us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Developing countries face the dual challenge of meeting rapidly growing energy demand while also scaling clean energy to avoid dramatic increases in carbon emissions. But financing all of those clean energy projects can be really tough. Emerging and developing economies need clean energy investments. Researchers estimate that they will need anywhere between 1 to 2 trillion dollar per year for the next 30 years to reach net zero emissions by 2050. Most of that capital will need to come from the private sector. Multilateral development banks are working really hard to fill the gap and catalyze the private finance. But they still have to work through unique financial policy and technical challenges in this emerging and developing economies. So what are the barriers? And how do we overcome them to mobilize more capital for clean energy projects across the developing world? This week I have a very special guest coming from the consulting world. Sam Israelit is a partner in Bain's San Francisco office. He works with clients in retail, consumer products and technology industries to help them transform their operations and achieve their performance goals. He also leads the environmental pillar in Bain's global social impact practice where he works with leading environment organizations around the world on problems related to climate change, responsible production and consumption along with land and ocean conservation. His work focuses on natural climate solutions especially related to reforestation, sustainable agriculture and blue carbon. Sam is also Bain's chief sustainability officer where he leads Bain's carbon net negative program. and drives efforts to measure and reduce Bain's carbon footprints sources it carbon offset investments and manage its public ESG reporting so join me in welcoming sam in today's episode and i'm really glad to have you on the show sam hi how are you good thank you very much for having me great i'm really glad that we could do this i know we all have been supremely busy and getting this kind of a time where we like to share our thoughts and uh, specifically when it is something so important what we are dealing with as the entire community and entire world because it's everyone's problem and it's just not one problem there are multiple problems related to this one problem yeah absolutely probably so, one of the biggest challenges most most companies are wrestling with right now absolutely absolutely i couldn't agree more so thank you thank you once again and while you are on a different course unlike me so i'm definitely 3 hours ahead of you right now I do envy you for the entire sunny weather but again it is what it is at times new york weather i mean i'm sure it's the same in san fran too but new york weather nowadays it's it's so unpredictable i mean i usually go with a t-shirt and a hoodie and a jacket so that i can uh, change my layers depending on how warm to how cold it gets in one single day I, at times i feel like i'm actually experiencing four seasons in one day that's so crazy Well California has been demonstrating the impacts of climate change this year with given the rains and everything else that we've had to deal with we I saw in the paper today we had snow in Santa Cruz. Mm, I heard that. It must be so interesting. <laughs> it's, it's rare. 
Perfect. Great, Sam. So without, I know we are dealing with a lot of things at the same time and getting this time is really important for us. I'll probably start with something which has been really a factor of curiosity for me and I'm sure a lot of others. I wanted to know a little bit more about the National Climate Solutions. Perhaps could you tell us more about your work in National Climate Solutions and how it can address the issues related to climate change or responsible production and consumption or maybe in collaborative production and land ocean conservation? I think it all relates to the National Climate Solutions, but I am really interested and I'm sure just like me, a lot of other people are too. So maybe we can start with you telling us more about your work in National Climate Solutions. Absolutely. You know, we have been working with some of the leading environmental nonprofits around the world for the past several years on a number of different conservation topics. You know, if you step back and look at climate change overall, I mean, you read in the paper a lot about the very, you know, the innovative new technologies, things like direct carbon capture and others. But, you know, the one thing to remember is trees are a proven technology, right? I mean, nature works and it will have to be part of the solution. And so if you think about kind of the impact that we have all had on the environment over the past several decades, we've really had a, a major impact on the health of forests and kind of the landscapes around us. And so what we're really working on is helping the environmental clients with whom we work, organizations like the Nature Conservancy and the World Wildlife Federation, Conservation International and others. We're helping them think about kind of focusing their efforts in those areas that really will have a major impact on kind of the climate of the planet. So as you mentioned, we focus in a number of areas. I mean, one of the key things is that, you know, is that focus matters. And so the areas we focus in first, as you said, is really around natural climate solutions related to reforestation, afforestation um, is one of the big areas. And this, this is where, you know, organizations are working to protect a large sector of land and to replant trees. It's not just the kind of plant any trees, but how can you plant it with kind of the natural vegetation that used to be there? and create a healthier landscape? And can you manage those forests more effectively? The second area is around you know, really looking at um, sustainable, healthy food systems. If you kind of look at the math of how humans are impacting the environment, more than a third of it actually comes from agriculture. And so, you know, looking at sustainable food systems is a, a major lever in how we're going to address some of these challenges. I can give examples of the types of things we do there if that's interesting. The third area is around sustainable finance and impact finance. And, you know, how can you place your investments in those areas in nature where you're going to get a good return, potentially both financially as well and more importantly, from an impact perspective on reducing carbon in the atmosphere and having a better impact on the environment? This is a really interesting example. So so just going by the same theme, which is essentially food production, the entire the safety and the security, the entire value chain of it. I'm really interested because I'm also intrigued because of the fact that I myself have worked on many agri-tech projects for government of India and few other governments, which were actually funded by the World Bank. So it was like a funded project. So it was interesting to work on all these different climatic conditions and work on 
increasing production of crops, some certain crops, and what exactly is affecting that. So I'm really interested to know how Bain is helping the society as definitely one of the major consultants and any of those marquee projects where you have like really have a great example to showcase. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, I think it's a really good example that that I can describe to you is a, a project we did. It's called Pacific Island Tuna. This is, um, it started several years ago with some work we were doing with the Nature Conservancy. You know, initially what TNC was trying to do is figure out a way to slow the extinction of the big eye tuna in the Marshall Islands. And as we started to talk to it, we found a, a number of different technology solutions, things like reducing you know, the use of thick fish aggregating devices, cap and trade systems on fishing days, onboard verification and monitoring systems, things like that. As that work progressed, and then you know, as the team stepped back and started to talk about, well, what could they really do to have a major impact? What we decided to do was, was actually partner with the Nature Conservancy to build a consortium of companies that included Thai Union, who's one of the largest fish processors in the world, the Republic of the Marshall Islands, which is where, you know, if you think the island of Palau, which is where a lot of the tuna comes from, and the actual fishermen are, and Walmart as, you know, one of the largest global retailers, and putting together, a you know, and actually standing up a company that will create an end-to-end sustainable value chain all the way from the Marshall Islands onto the shelves of Walmart where consumers can actually buy these products. And what's very exciting, one of the reasons I'm really excited about this whole program and the company is now up and running um, is that a lot of the profits that come from this value chain actually go back to the fishermen in the Marshall Islands. So it's not just a, you know, let's be sustainable on how we kind of catch the fish and then bring it to market and get it onto a shelf. But it also includes how do you create a better lifestyle for, you know, from an economics perspective for the people in the Marshall Islands. And so you can go into Walmart now and uh, you can actually buy, you know, the great value tuna that comes from Pacific Island Tuna Company. And the power of putting together the science of an organization like the Nature Conservancy, who's one of the best in the world at this, with the ability of someone like us in, you know, in Bain and our ability to to do kind of economic analysis and develop strategies, putting those together allows you to create whole new business models that are much more sustainable and have multi-benefits like I described. This is really fascinating to know. And honestly, I wasn't definitely aware of this thing going on. And this is just so refreshing to know that the kind of impact that is being created on ground. And honestly, a lot of this, I feel, is also is dependent highly on consumer behavior. And honestly, behavior is one thing which, which takes... The change of behavior doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. While there are different programs uh, coming from different ministries, federal agencies across the world, and how to change the behavior so that to make sure... Because climate change is mostly anthropogenic in nature and it all depends on what kind of a behavioral characteristics we portray and how do we manage our actions that is something which is really a very important factor this really is like leading towards my second question i really wanted to know how exactly the consumer behavior and demand is changing in relation to sustainability and that can happen both at the business side and at the so actually at the client side and at the supplier side too and even for the masses i was just wondering how can in this particular context how can businesses adapt to these changes 
in order to remain competitive? Absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that has emerged coming out of the pandemic over the past few years is is that people are more aware of kind of the impact of climate change. You know, if you look at the weather events that have been happening over the past couple of years, whether it's wildfires in California or the wildfires in Australia, um, flooding in several different parts of the world, the fires in Greece, you know, the if you look at the the volatility of weather here in the U.S., the you know major storms we just had in California last month, you know, all of these are indications that we need to do something, right? It, um, and because of that, consumers are starting to take notice. And increasingly, they're starting to look to companies to say, what are you doing about kind of your impact on the world? And, you know, if you're not, and, and they're willing to shift their spend. So they're actually willing to kind of vote with their wallets to say that they want to buy sustainable products and so that they, they want companies to be more sustainable. You're seeing this in investments as well, where you know investors are increasingly looking at the ESG ratings of companies as part of their investment decisions. You know, when you couple all these together, it's become increasingly important for businesses to start to think about sustainability as part of their strategy. If they don't have a sustainability strategy today, they need to start incorporating it. And it should be a major priority. And there are a number of different things that are going to be happening over the next few years that are going to, you know, from a regulatory perspective that are going to, you know, continue to kind of reinforce that companies need to do something here. You know, we did a, a project with a technology client last year where, you know, one of the things we did was went out and surveyed a bunch of their customers and people who buy electronics. And one of the things we found is that increasingly customers, the consumers are willing to buy sustainable, secure, you know, locally produced technology, and they're willing to pay a premium. You know, it's, you know, that premium can be as much as 5%. You know, they are increasingly willing to pay for it. Um, we've seen that in consumer goods as well. You know, if you look at kind of some of the shifts in organic produce, you know, the organic food products, people are willing to, to pay a premium there. And, you know, the, the expectations of a company and their, their performance are only getting kind of higher and higher, right? I mean, this is something they're going to have to deal with. Just absorbing all these new facts coming my way. And it's been really interesting to know the entire, uh, the whole nine yards of it. And while this entire thing, while I was listening to you, I was also going through a little bit of facts as well. While these things are happening, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of lot of industries, uh, a lot of clients, and I'm sure uh, you cannot name any of those. But then in the past, in the recent past, I'm sure a lot of clients or organizations uh, around the world, uh, they are able to balance the act of having uh, their economic goals met and their environmental responsibilities are also being adhered to. So... I'm sure there would be there must be a lot. Would there be any some example of the major uh, companies because now they have achieved their goals? If you can just share, what are those key criteria or how do they? What is the secret of that kind of a success? Managing that balance between economic goals and being environmentally responsible. Yeah, I mean, this is a you know one thing you said is, is that companies are kind of on top of this. I actually think. This is still a major challenge for most companies. You know, they are wrestling with how do I balance kind of the traditional business of, you know, I have a, a business to run and an operation to kind of continue that needs to make money while at the same time doing good for the world, 
right? I mean, that is not an easy trade-off for most companies. And so, you know, that's that's a reason they hire us. We, you know, this is the our ESG work with clients is probably the fastest growing practice at Bain right now. And so, you know, this is something that that we hear a lot from our clients that, you know, is something they really are, are struggling with. And, you know, part of it is that they want to do the right thing, but it does cost money. And, you know, I think as we get in and do the work, what we're finding is that, you know, you can make investments in more sustainable technologies. And the companies that are really leading in this area are the ones that are finding not only ways to kind of just be a little bit more sustainable through their value chain, but they're also finding new opportunities. And so they're starting to think about, you know, are there new business opportunities, ways that they can make money in new markets or with new types of customers by focusing on sustainable practices. And so that can be things like, you know, are you redesigning your packaging to create new ways to deliver your product to a customer? It's finding alternative kind of sources for how you might find the inputs that go into a product. It's, you know, investing in collaborations with other partners, maybe in additional geographies that would help you deliver your product in a way that you haven't delivered it before. And so, you know, it's, it's, are there additional things you can actually, by investing in your value chain to be more sustainable, can you actually open up new value streams, things like data and information that you can sell? Those are the types of things that people are, are who I think are at the forefront of kind of sustainable business are actually thinking about. So it's not just a risk, but it's also an opportunity. And that's where, you know, I think a lot of the really interesting work's being done. Wow, this is really refreshing and honestly uh, kind of something which people like who are in the developing part of the world, they would love to learn from all these different pointers. And while you are also coming from a huge and a very rich supply chain uh, background, what do you see? What are the main challenges when it comes to creating sustainable supply chain? And how do you exactly address these challenges with your clients? But, and there, there's a handful of challenges that companies face in this. I mean, first and foremost, how do you measure it, right? And that's something, you know, that a lot of companies have not traditionally done. And so, you know, it's a, it's an, a focus area that they have is how do you measure all the granular activities that happen across the end-to-end value chain and convert that into the, you know, the carbon cube that is necessary to understand what your actual footprint is. And so, you know, that's step one for a lot of companies is they need to understand how much carbon are they actually emitting in the end-to-end value chain. It's very easy to think about, I have a manufacturing plant and it produces, you know, this many units of product and I consume this much electricity and use this much diesel. You know, that's something that's easy to kind of figure out. You can look at invoices and figure it out. The harder part though, is looking at your supply, looking at your extended supply chain, right? You need to go back into your suppliers and understand what their carbon impact is of what of the inputs that are going into your products. And you know, you need to extend out into your customers to understand how these are being used. That end-to-end kind of life cycle view of a, a supply chain is actually something that companies really struggle with. You know, managing, if you look at the carbon accounting, the purchase goods and services category in scope three is one of the most difficult categories for most companies to deal with. Because you don't have control over it you know, most typical companies have thousands of suppliers and that's a lot of information that you have to manage and, you know, getting out and convincing them that they need to become more sustainable as well is a pretty daunting task. And so 
I think that's one of the biggest areas that companies struggle with is dealing with their scope three emissions in purchased goods and services. And it's an area, you know, big area of focus for many companies that are out there. I feel uh, I can share the, the similar pain because uh, coming from a ex-consulting, like consulting background myself, I have seen uh, my clients uh, being suffering from this kind of a problem, uh, left, right and center. And I'm not just talking about private sector, I'm talking about the public sector as well. Yeah. So I think uh, the, obviously nobody's immune to this, this problem. Everybody uh, has to go through light of it. While in the last three years, a lot of people were spending their time, most of the time inside, indoors. A lot has happened uh, technologically. Digitally, we have uh, we might have gone maybe 10 years ahead of what we were planning, maybe from the AI perspective or even the data perspective. I was thinking, yes, the entire measuring part, the yardstick is kind of hazy. It's not very clear. So it is definitely a problem. But do you see, even with the latest involvement and flux of so many digital tools around us, do you still see the problem as harsh or do you see these problems going a little softer towards maybe in the next couple of years, maybe three to five years with all these tools coming in? Like we are surrounded with AI tools. So I was focusing yes. on that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really great point. There are, you know, there's a huge number of new kind of startups and early stage ventures that are out there providing tools to help with this problem of, of measurement. Right. And, um, you know, the, you know, a couple that I would mention things like if you look at the carbon accounting solutions, right, which are really good for helping you understand kind of what is your total footprint and kind of taking in the activity, doing the conversions from kind of activity into carbon emissions and helping you kind of understand what levers you can pull and what impact those levers have. You know, there's, there's companies, platforms like Persephone, which is a, a carbon accounting module, which will help you you know, really understand kind of the, you know, what's the right path to get you down to the the levels of emissions that you're targeting. We've developed, a, there's a brand new solution that we've developed that um, is actually a new startup, which is called ESG Flow, which is really focusing on ingestion of data, right? One of the big challenges you have is that if you have a, you know, let's say you have a, a global network of sites and you've got, you know, 60, 70, 80 sites around the world, how do you gather the individual data on things like fuel that's being used by the fleets in those areas and uh, the electricity used in the different offices in those areas? How do you gather all that information up? And so we've actually, you know, use um, artificial intelligence and machine learning tools to take unstructured data and translate it into something that can actually be loaded into the computer in a way that you can then help create these carbon, kind of I'll call it a carbon cube. And more importantly, I think also get it kind of ingested into a system that can then be audited, because that's something increasingly we're going to see from a regulatory perspective is that we're going to need to have audits on these types of things. And so those are a couple of examples, and there are other ones out there. Salesforce has a platform that does this as well, and it's a lot more expensive and kind of broader. But I mean, I, as you start, once you start digging into the technologies that are out there, I think they will help. But it's early stage for a lot of them. The functionality they're offering is it's evolving, you know, almost weekly kind of in capability. So I, I do think that they're, uh, you know, the technology is definitely going to help. Honestly, while when I first started using um, the first AI tool in my life, I was like completely mind blown. I mean, that was just the beginning. I'm talking about way back, like five, seven years ago. And that was when we were working on a 
on a project on the blockchain project for uh, Ontario province in Canada. So our team, EY's team based in Canada, they were working on a tool for the finance ministry, finance cabinet there. And it's a nice blockchain tool which sits nicely and it doesn't nudge any, any other tool which is already there. So I could just not believe my eyes. What exactly am I seeing? I mean, this was a, a sheer technological advancement with leap years ahead. And that was just the beginning. I was just seeing all those things happening in front of me. And now most of the world now exactly knows what chat GPT is, how people's life. I mean, everybody's life can be so much easier. But yeah, again, being an AI and being at, at that kind of a stage, a lot of errors can also happen. And those errors can be fatal if a human cannot catch those errors. So I think while all these digital advancements are happening, a sheer amount of human involvement will always be required till the time that these tools also talk and feel like humans, maybe yeah. sometime in the future. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you mentioned blockchain. I mean, you know, if you think about one of the key levers right now for, for many manufacturing companies and sustainability is circularity, right? And one of the big enablers of circularity is traceability. And so being able to do that, you need something like blockchain to help you with that. You know, you mentioned kind of chat GPT, you know, we, I don't know if you saw on our website or not, but we just announced we are, we we've have a deep partnership now with OpenAI on, you know, their products and how you use them. Yes, I did. I did read that. And honestly, this is how I sneak in my questions where the guest automatically wants to share something with me rather than me pushing for, for, for answers. So yes, that's that's something which I'm really interested. What exactly happening there? Like how are, are you guys collaborating and what can we see in, in the coming days? Yeah, I think we're at the in the very early stages of kind of the finding out how artificial intelligence and machine learning are going to be able to help us in business, right? I mean, just you know, the, we're in an infancy stage at this point. And so, you know, we have a partnership with OpenAI that allows us to kind of start to work with clients. And it also gives us the tools ourselves so that we can start to figure out how can we apply these tools into the work we do. Um, and, you know, as I said, it's, it's early days still, but, you know, just some of the examples around things like call center performance and, you know, forecasting and planning and, you know, the ability to generate content. I mean, just the, you know, the numbers of potential opportunities is just staggering where you might apply this technology. It's, it's pretty exciting. It doesn't come without risk. You know, it's, it's with great power comes great responsibility. And so I think it's the, we need to figure out how to apply these in a way that really helps business without causing some of the challenges we've had from the last kind of generation of technology advances. When you think about, you know, a lot of the personalization and data tracking that's happened over the past 10, 15 years through the some of the different big media platforms. That's something that uh, we, you know, we have to make sure we're careful about how we do it. And so we're very excited about it. I, I think it's, I was actually playing with the chat GPT this morning and you know, I'm, I'm still learning a lot about how it can be used. Exciting times, I can say yeah. that. And uh, cool. I guess uh, Bain is also a partner with Microsoft, which also, uh, that relationship also comes quite handy because a lot of consulting firms do have a great relationship with Microsoft and they, I mean, they are suppliers and they are like partners and in, in, in different uh, collaborations, I guess that also is really helpful. And honestly, when Microsoft itself is pumping in like $10 billion in the initial stages with OpenAI, I can just think that the sky is the limit right now with this kind of a tool. Well, I think over the past several years, I mean, we've past decade really, 
we have tried to build an ecosystem of technology companies with whom we can work because you know it, it's apparent and really critical that you have a your strategy includes not only the kind of you know the frameworks and how you think about making decisions and the business processes but also how can you incorporate technologies to help you kind of deliver better business performance we've really made an effort to build an ecosystem of partners with whom we work that allows us to use those tools with our clients to help give better kind of results for them, but also to help us kind of expose them to those tools so they can start to use them in their own operations. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a win-win combination and yeah. uh, that any smart consultant would definitely take uh, a step in this direction and which obviously there is no doubt about that Bain is and it has already taken these steps in the past. And uh, I was really excited to uh, read that press release that, yes, there's a collaboration. Great. I'm really excited to see what's ahead. And while all this is happening, how do you, I mean, there's so much will be happening from now. As you said, that uh, it's very difficult to even project what exactly is going to happen. We are at the stage of infancy right now. We don't know what exactly this particular tool or AI as a technology is capable of. But if I see so much of development happening in the next couple of months and years, and I'm sure it'll be very dynamic in nature, the results kind of become maybe overwhelming, which is more than what we might expect. So my concern would be, how do we then measure and track progress when it comes to sustainability and reducing carbon footprint? Because we already, there, as you said, there are, there are similar challenges faced by organizations already. And just to make sure that we are not making a lot of our tasks a little bit more overwhelming than what it is right now. So that uh, tracking the progress and what are the yardsticks, what the metric can be used or do you use to evaluate success right now? And what do you see the future looking like? There's the basic measure of just how much carbon you're actually emitting, right? And so one of the measure is what's your, and, and this is, you know, the, the greenhouse gas accounting rules are still evolving, right? I mean, it, it's, I, I think we're in a world now where people trying to apply the accounting rules are ahead of the accounting organization, you know, the people who are setting the standards. There's things that, you know, we're starting to ask questions about, you know, how do we account for certain types of activities and, and improvements? And the kind of carbon accounting world hasn't caught up yet. And so I think that is going to apply some pressure. It does create some challenges. You know, a simple example because of the pandemic, you know, a lot of our workforce was working from home. You know, prior to the pandemic, we didn't even track that category of work from home electricity because, you know, we were mostly either in the office or at clients. And <laughs> now working from home is part of the business model. And so, you know, that's a new category for us. You know, the, the challenge is if I create incentives for our employees to invest in renewable energy in their apartments or in their homes. It doesn't mean they have to buy solar panels. They could buy renewable energy credits, you know, invest in those types of projects for themselves so that they could be, you know, using hundred percent renewable energy. Um, if I, you know, were to pay for those credits, I can't count it. If they do it on their own, we're fairly sure I could count it, but I, I can't provide the incentive for me to do that through them versus, you know, just buying an offset for it afterwards on our, you know, as part of our accounting. And so, you know, the, and, and it's not that the accounting standards don't let me do it, but they don't say that I can do it, right? I can go do that. 
And it doesn't say I can't, but it doesn't say I can. So it's a gray area. And, you know, as I mentioned, I think the, you know, the ability to audit what you're doing is going to become increasingly important from a regulatory perspective. You know, in a number of countries, you know, in the EU with CSRD coming in a couple of years, um, you know, with the announcements here in the U.S. coming in sometime, hopefully in the next 18 months. Um, I've heard rumblings of something coming out in California where reporting is going to be uh, required. And because of that, you know, auditability is something that's going to be really important. So, so I think the, you know, the first base thing is really around, you know, how do you actually measure your footprint? And, and then from there is, you know, against what baseline are you measuring your improvements? And this is something a lot of companies really struggle with because, you know, you may like when we were setting some of our targets early on, you know, people were saying, hey, well, we just use the current year. Well, the current year was a pandemic when everyone's locked down and we really don't have as much emissions as we usually do because we're not traveling. And, you know, 80 percent of our carbon footprint is business travel. And so if you're not traveling, that makes us look really good. Um, but, you know, a, a return to normal and we will kind of get back to a new normal um, would require us to address that. And so, you know, we picked a 2019 baseline year and that's the, the baseline that we use for measuring all of our kind of carbon reduction initiatives. So that's a big one that we look at is around kind of, you know, what emissions are we actually, do we have in a year? What is the source of those emissions? And, you know, what's the life cycle, you know, the, the extended value chain of those emissions as well. And, you know, what progress are we making on our efforts to kind of reduce our footprint? And then how do we report that? And so I think the, you know, being very detailed around, you know, the, the specific geographies and activities that you're doing um, related to kind of the, the activities that emit carbon is, is just, it's a huge, an enormous amount of data and you need solutions to deal with that. So we've been, you know, for our footprint, we actually have, you know, been using a system we wrote ourselves and, you know, we put it together. It's not something that I would advise anyone to start with today, given, you know, the state of the, of technology, there's great solutions out there. Like I mentioned, Persephone and others, I think that's a, that's a good place to start. I guess a lot of uh, major consulting firms, including McKinsey, Bain, BCG, everyone has a different business unit, which caters to only climate change and sustainability right now. While there are different client sets, that can be private, that can be public, honestly, because as this problem is for everyone. So I'm sure there must be some business unit within Bain who's actually their entire thing is climate and sustainability. And while they are doing that, I'm sure a lot of other market segment lines are also getting overlapped. So uh, a lot of people might be thinking, okay, even this is climate change, even that is climate change. So defining climate change is becoming a huge hassle right now. Honestly, I have seen like really in front of me in a, in a dense country like India, getting a problem and saying it is not climate change because everything is climate change right now. I can't even pick one problem and I say, no, this is not a result of an anthropogenic climate change. This is something else. I may be absolutely not sure. I, even if I ask chat GPT, tool might also give me a wrong answer. But again, these are, these are really important thoughts. Sam, honestly, these are very important thoughts, uh, what you just shared with us. And going ahead, I really wanted to know, and perhaps this would be uh, my concluding question for the show that uh, how do you see the role of of any individual or maybe role of individual actions like you or me 
on any lifestyle changes in contributing to sustainability and addressing climate change? I mean, what advice would you like to give my audiences and individuals looking to make a positive impact in this area? Well, I mean, there's a handful of things I think people can do. I mean, first of all, and it's a little bit of what you just said, right? Pretty much most of the activities we are involved in today, both at work and personal, have some impact on the climate, on the environment, and on climate change. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first step is really educate yourself. Start to understand, you know, what what does climate change really mean, right? It's yeah. uh, the, you hear the term global warming. And people think, well, it's not hot. Look out the window. It's snowing. So global warming doesn't exist. You know, and, and what we're talking about with global warming is actually one of the biggest impacts is, is that there's increased volatility of climate as well. And so, you know, educate yourself, learn what we mean about the different, you know, when we say global warming, what does that mean? Start to learn how different types of activities you're doing actually do impact the environment. And, you know, so education and awareness is one of the first things you can do. Second is, you know, pick an area that, that, you know, as you look at your life, you know, where is something, what is something you're doing you, that you think might have an impact on climate and go work on that. Um, you know, in, in simple cases, it could be, you know, you're throwing a lot of food away. Let's, let's start and, and you have a lot of trash. Let's, Let's focus on keeping things out of landfills. That could be the cause that you get passionate about. And so, you know, work on reducing kind of the impact of you throwing things away, whether that's food or, you know, non-recyclable products, you know, try to keep things out of landfills to reduce waste. Um, It could be something like, you know, you really want to get involved in, well, I, I would say that, you know, the second area you could go to would be, you know, start to get involved with other organizations that, you know, are focusing in areas that matter to you. So, for example, pick someone, you know, like the Nature Conservancy, who, you know, is an organization that is focusing on climate change and get involved there, volunteer, you know, get involved in some of their programs to start to understand what you can do to help them kind of impact, you know, the, the conservation of key landscapes and reforestation. Um, go down and, and find your local nonprofit, environmental nonprofit, and get involved and, and start to have an impact there. And then in your work life, you know, start to think about what are the small things you can do to start to build sustainability into everything you do. It's not going to replace it. Not everything is, a, is like you said, I, I, I liked what you said a minute ago. It is a sustainability problem. But it's it, not everything is a sustainability problem. And part of the reason people have a challenge with that is because, you know, it's integrated into the problems that we have. And so, you know, when you're when you're looking at a particular opportunity or you're thinking about something, a solution that you're developing for a different problem, step back and say, is there a sustainability implication to this as well? And could I do something here to be more sustainable as well as to, you know, be more cost effective or to provide better quality or better service? You know, are there things we could do that encompass both goals? Because that's going to make your organization stronger as well. All fantastic points, Sam, honestly. Um, Great points. So perhaps the last question uh, of our show, looking to the future, what are some key trends or developments that you are particularly excited about in the area of sustainability, of course, and addressing climate change? And how do you see these... uh, shaping the business and societal landscape in the years to come? Yeah. 
I mean, there's there's a number of, of areas where I'm pretty excited about kind of innovations that are going on. Some of them are very early stage. Um, you know, at Bain, we do have a commitment to be carbon net negative, which effectively means we do our best to kind of reduce our overall footprint, you know, as much as we can and buy very high quality carbon removals to, um, you know, both cover that footprint as well as, you know, start to address some of our carbon legacy. And as part of that, you know, we've, we've made a commitment to invest, you know, in advanced technologies for carbon removals. And so a few of them that I'm particularly excited about, and we, we actually have a partnership with a with Patch.io, which is helping us kind of find some of these projects and things like, you know, the advanced weathering, you know, the use of olivine sands to, to kind of sequester carbon out of the atmosphere and in the, into the ocean. Um, you know, the use of kind of some technologies. I think one of the technologies we've been investing in this year is sustainable aviation fuel. And, you know, the if I look at the trajectory of what it's going to take, for the aviation sector to decarbonize, sustainable aviation fuel is going to play a key role. And there are some significant innovation challenges there. You know, the, the use of HEPA, which is, you know, a form of, of sustainable aviation fuel is very expensive. And if they can make the innovation leap to, you know, get power to liquid to actually work, then, you know, the, the cost of doing that, that sustainable aviation fuel is going to come down dramatically. And that's what's really going to enable, you know, the aviation sector to decarbonize. Um, you know, the, there are some other technologies, things like biochar and some of the blue carbon work. And you wouldn't necessarily think of some of the, the natural stuff as technology, but it requires technology for verification and, you know, for finding out how can you be more effective in kind of um, making sure, ensuring that the, the plantings you're doing survive, are there better ways to feed it, are there better ways to plant it? You know, technology plays a role in all of these, as well as from an information perspective. And so, you know, those are areas that I think, you know, we're paying attention to. Um, we'll continue the, the, you know, there are others that are on the, out there, direct carbon capture is a technology that's evolving at a, a really amazing pace. When you look at the number of different organizations that have technology solutions for, for direct carbon capture, and the challenge is how do you get the economics down? Because it's, you know, at $700 a ton, it's prohibit, cost prohibitive. If you can get it down to $100 a ton, it's much more kind of achievable for, for kind of people to use. This is uh, seriously a lot of things around um, blue carbon and biochar. Honestly, that the entire sustainable aviation fuel is quite an interesting thing, which I, which I found on. And I'm definitely going to enlighten myself by by just going through it, what exactly it is, because uh, we definitely cannot uh, have a discussion around that because that might need one full full episode. Well, we can have it for uh, some other time. But uh, honestly, uh, Sam, it has been a pleasure to host you on my show. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners would be supremely educated after listening to different tips and techniques which are coming from someone who's very seasoned as a consultant but not just that he also is the chief sustainability officer at one of the big three consulting firms of the world so i'm really glad sam that you could make this time and really honored uh, thanks a lot and wish you a happy weekend thank you very much this is something that uh, we believe it's a very important issue for the world and it's the right thing to do and i really appreciate the chance to talk Perfect. Thank you, Sam. 
and have a great weekend. Bye-bye. You too.